to get the latest and greatest updates about our work, please join our mailing list by texting FINKLAW to 66866. Welcome to the Think Law Podcast with Colin Seal, where we challenge you to imagine a world where critical thinking is no longer a luxury good and equip you with the powerful but practical tools to make that possible in our schools, in leadership, and in our homes. Hi, this is Colin Seal. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Think Law Podcast. Today, very briefly, I want to introduce a special guest that we have. Uh, this special guest's name is Rose Sampson Seal. Rose, you want to say hello? Hi, I'm Colin's daughter. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> One of the things that I want to talk about, just to start today's episode out, is I want Rose to kind of give an honest assessment of what it's like to be my daughter. So tell me something, Rose. What happens most of the time when you ask me for things? You mostly say no. How does that usually work? So when I ask Daddy, uh, can we go to a nighttime swim? He says no. Well, here's the thing. Sometimes Daddy says yes. And like yesterday when I asked him for hot cocoa, he gave me an olive hot cocoa. And sometimes when I don't say no, what's another thing that I say? Say, let's not. And say we did. And I hate that saying. All right. <laughs> so I wanted to start with this because as a father, I have definitely been, as you can hear from live testimony, subject to the troubling practice of the knee-jerk no. When I talk about the knee-jerk no, when I look at today's episode, which is all about how do we get past the knee-jerk no, I think we all know exactly what it is I'm talking about. You are listening to this right now and you're probably nodding your head because you know when you've had those moments in life where you're like, no, absolutely not. Don't even think about it. That's completely ridiculous. Or let's not and say we did. But what if, instead of let's not and say we did, we thought of a different angle? What if we did? What if we did? If I were to say yes, how could I make this work? And I want to talk about the knee-jerk no within the context of something we've spoken about in different episodes and something that I talk about a lot in the Thinking Like a Lawyer book. So when we talk about the knee-jerk no, in many ways, we're referencing part of our gut feeling. Now, remember, our gut feeling isn't necessarily a sixth sense, but it's a combination of our five senses and our values and our experiences and our education. So when we do a knee-jerk no, a lot of times it's coming from a place of protection. It's coming from a place of instinct or know-how. Or, or we've seen this thing play before. We've seen this movie before. We know how this story ends, and it doesn't really end in a really good way. So we're just going to say no. But what if we can move past that knee-jerk no? And 
full disclosure here, you know, when we talk about no and the world of consent, like we, we, we know that no means no. We know that absent a clear and sober yes, like it's not a yes. So this isn't the kind of no I'm talking about. The kind of no I'm talking about is a place that we've all been. We've seen this play out. I remember one year I was teaching seventh and eighth grade math at a school where the upper school was six through 12. And I remember I was like killing it pre-algebra, algebra. That was my focus. And then somebody pulled me aside in the administration and said, hey, Colin, we've got a certain period of pre-calculus that's during your prep. And there's a lot of challenges in its class. And we were wondering if you could come in and teach pre-calculus. Nope. Let's not and say we did. Absolutely not. I'm not going to go teach no pre-calculus. Are you kidding me? I'm going to give up my prep period? Nope. Don't think so. I got a good thing going here. I can't even think about doing it. Absolutely not. But then at some point, and I talked through the process of how I got there, I recognized what I was doing. I was in the space of understanding that like there's a reason I had that knee-jerk reaction. I remember I actually went to go check out and assess the situation, and I saw a teacher who was struggling mightily. I saw a group of parents that were very concerned that their college-bound kids were not getting the type of instruction that they needed. I saw a group of kids who were growing incredibly and increasingly frustrated that there was this massive disconnect. And I felt like I could be uniquely capable of being helpful in a situation. And I thought that there was almost a blessing in disguise. If I could teach pre-calculus at this time and also be teaching pre-algebra and algebra at the same time, I could see this connection in this sort of pipeline so that my eighth graders would make sure that they're getting those fundamental basics put in so that when they sit in that pre-calculus class, it'll be a breeze. I got past the knee-jerk no. I've already spoken to you about my daughter and myself as a parent. I am the king of no and absolutely not and let's not and say we did. But even there, I often see the error of my ways. I think about my son, Oliver, who was four, wanting to help me to vacuum one day. And, you know, before we got a new vacuum, we had a vacuum cleaner from 1970-something that's super loud and heavy and has all his duct tape on it. And I remember him saying, you know, Daddy, can I help you vacuum? Knee jerk, no. The vacuum is dangerous. This vacuum could suck you up. Like, let's just not and say we did. And there was something I had to recognize that maybe it wasn't about the vacuum. Maybe when he was asking to vacuum with me, it was really this idea that he, he wanted to be in a space with just me. And we wanted to sort of build and have this connection to me. And it turned out that it really wasn't even about me. It was also this idea that he can be helpful and he could contribute. And although he was only four and he can't move around this massive vacuum, he took great joy in moving things out of my way and making sure that I had a clear path to vacuum different areas of the carpet. So I got rid of that knee-jerk no. I think about having a new team member start 
for my company in October. And here we are, Think Law, this company that's based around critical thinking and pushing and really making sure that we're creating a generation of young people to not just be problem solvers, but to be problem finders. And we've got this new woman on our team, Lane, and she comes in and she's bright and excited and has these ideas. And she's like, you know, Colin, I see the way that people resonate with your professional development and your workshops. I think you should really consider doing a podcast. Nope, not going to happen. Never, ever going to happen. This is what happens when you decide to like bring the younger, the younger generation into the workplace. It all comes down to the podcast and the TikToks. And, you know, at the end of the day, like this is my version of like, get out of here with that loud rock and roll music. I'm having a tough time with this idea of the Think Law podcast. So I give it the knee jerk. No, absolutely not. Nah. Let's not and say we did. But then I got to a different point where I started thinking to myself, what if we did? What if we tried it? What if we can figure out a way to give it a shot? Is this really a firm of a no as I would think? And here's what I want to really be clear about. When we live in a world of no, we live in a world where we don't have possibilities. In fact, going back to this allegory around and the connection to this idea around consent, right? We talk about consent and getting past the notion of rape culture that's just so prevalent in our society, a clear and sober yes. What if instead of talking about that knee-jerk no, we were able to get to a point where we have a clear and sober, unequivocal yes around our ideas, what that might look like? I'll tell you what won't happen. I'll tell you that we won't leave ideas to die before we even give them a try because of that knee-jerk no. I know that many times we will avoid disaster because we'll know based off of certain values and experiences, when we know that it's a no, right? When we feel those things of safety, whatever have you, like, we don't have to risk it. Hey, I just drank, you know, 20 shots of bourbon. Should I drive these people home? No, pretty clear, no. But if we think about what it takes, whenever I get a new idea or I'm presenting with a new concept or my, my kids are asking me something as a parent or... I'm being pushed. I'm being challenged. There's a three-step process I want you to think through when it comes to moving past the knee-jerk no. You get asked a question and you say no as that knee-jerk reaction. The first thing I want you to really be able to do is think to yourself, why am I so adamantly against this? So we talked before about doing this root cause analysis, understanding the issue versus the interest. The issue is that surface level problem that's bothering you. Like if you have a neighbor with loud barking dogs, you're um, upset that the dogs are barking. But if you ask why that bothers you, like what's the core issue? Maybe it actually comes down to the idea that in your home, there's an entitlement to peace and quiet. So you just really care about peace and quiet. It's not about the dogs barking. So when you have that knee-jerk no, why are you really saying that? Assessing why you're saying that, it allows you to really think through this no in a much more critical fashion. Are you saying no because you're afraid? Are you saying no because there's some contingency that has not been addressed? Am I saying no to my son helping me with vacuum cleaning? Why am I doing that? 
I'm not anti-vacuum cleaning for young people. I just don't want them to get hurt. Maybe I don't want the job to take longer. So those are my concerns. When you start to really get to that why, you start to lay out your concerns in a, a much more strategic way. Why did I say no to Lane when it comes to this podcast? Why was that my nature? Because maybe... I was like intimidated by podcasts and I thought it would be too complicated and overwhelming and I felt like I wouldn't really know what I was doing with it. And when I was able to identify that that was my interest, the fear, the lack of knowledge, then she was able to do the research and she was able to kind of prepare a set of best practices and what it would take for me to move this forward. And going into episode 12, we're actually getting a lot of traction on this and we're getting the hang of it and it's starting to make sense. So like there's a benefit to not going to that knee jerk. No, but it starts with that first step of understanding why is your no there to begin with and dissecting it so you can get to the interest instead of sticking at the level of just the issue. Secondly, when you do a knee jerk no, I want you to think about one other really important piece. And here's where I'm asking you to make some logical predictions and inferences around the consequences of a yes. What are the consequences of a yes? And here's where you start to really put yourself into your head. You really start thinking about the future version of your reality. And there's something about making the intangible tangible. There's something about getting to the point where instead of something being hypothetical, it's already done. And I think about this in the context of where I'm at right now and where we're at right now. A lot of times when it comes to the education conversation, I'm going to be really honest with you. As a, a Black person who is in this work, and is really obsessed with student learning and really obsessed with like instruction and the nitty gritty of this, it's been something that I've almost like resisted to a flaw of like, you know, I don't wanna be pigeonholed as like the diversity and equity and race guy. And I felt this, I felt this like very oppressive feeling of like whenever I'm at a conference around gifted and talented topics. I feel like you've got the sides of the coin. You've got these folks over here that are talking about instructional best practices and ways to really reach gifted learners. And when I look there versus this other set of people that are talking about equity issues in gifted education and equity issues around identifying kids and outcomes for kids, a lot of times the racial demographics of the two populations don't really line up. On one side, you got a lot of folks who are almost exclusively white. And while you have a lot of people of every race and creed and origin doing equity work around gifted education, it seemed to me that a lot of the people of color involved, particularly a lot of the black and brown leaders, were almost always asked to talk about the equity issues. And I remember feeling like, you know what, when it comes to like doing something around like racial justice, like no, firm no, let's not and say we did. I wanted to be known for really what it meant to do this as an instructional thing. I wanted to be known as someone who doesn't face the plight 
of a lot of what we see for black men in education. You see it very often. If you've got a black man in your school building who's a teacher, a lot of times they reach the glass ceiling, ceiling of like the dean of students or the assistant principal over behavior and discipline. And for me, I just cannot fathom that all throughout the country, we don't have a set of African-American male teachers with tremendous instructional chops. I also didn't want the same thing to happen as a trainer when it comes to diversity and equity work, I wanted to really make sure that like, I didn't get there. So when I started thinking about the possibilities of a yes bill, when I started playing out the yes instead of that knee jerk no, I started recognizing in a moment where we start to think about racial justice as a priority in education, we also risk getting to the point where we fail to see the connection between racial justice and academic success. So if I can actually play this out as a yes, then I can actually live and breathe this mission. The mission of what I've been doing for the last five years with Think Law is we wanted to create a world where critical thinking was no longer a luxury good. What does that mean? It means that in my version of educational equity, it means that we're not just giving our kids the tools to succeed in the classroom, but we're giving them exactly what they need beyond the classroom. What does that mean? It means that we need to give them the tools to break down these unjust systems while also allowing them to be successful right now in those unjust systems. If that's the case, I can think about my future, yes. And in my future, yes, I have an equation where educational equity equals academic success plus racial justice. And it all makes sense. It all makes sense. My fears might be grounded in some sort of logical basis because, again, my gut feeling typically is. But that knee-jerk no is creating a world of limitations that I'm basically placing on myself. In fact, by diving deeper into this at this time, by leveraging my identity as an identified gifted child who was unidentified with ADHD until I was an adult and who struggled with underachievement by the time I got to high school, I'm telling a story that resonates almost universally across education, period across gifted education in particular. So I wanna make sure that in addition to understanding the root cause behind that knee jerk no, I also close my eyes and envision the consequences of the yes. So I can really start to see why the knee jerk no might wanna be something that I reject in this space. Last but not least, I think it's really important when you start thinking about that knee-jerk no to consider the effort. Consider the effort. And when I'm talking about considering the effort, what I'm trying to bring up is this idea that generally speaking, it's easier to say no than it is to say yes. Generally speaking, right? Like yes means that I'm committing to something. But are we actually looking at that the right way? Is it really easier to say no? And when I think about the cost of saying no, it's not just about me. I need to think about this idea that maybe I'm saying no to 
going to an event that's going to be really inconvenient and tough to get to, but means so much to the person that's inviting me to this event. Maybe I'm saying no to an opportunity that might not really come up again. It's very unique. It's really different. It gives me a chance to make a very certain kind of impact. Earlier, when it comes to my daughter and the question around like hot cocoa, she's like, I say no to a lot of things. Like, why did I say yes to hot cocoa? And I thought about it of like, you know, saying no sounds easier. But at the end of the day, there's a moment. There's an experience there. Saying yes gives me a chance to sit down with my kids and enjoy a hot beverage and hear them smiling and talking really casually. The thing about like sipping hot chocolate is it's hard to like terrorize each other when you're sipping a hot chocolate with marshmallows in it. It's just a certain kind of joy in that room. And I thought like as busy as things have been, as much as they struggled during this pandemic with only having one friend to play with, why can't we just sit down and have some hot chocolate? So when I start thinking through this idea of getting to the root of why your no exists, of seeing this future and analyzing the questions of yes and truly making an assessment as to whether or not that no was actually easier, the main point that I'm trying to do here is just protect yourself from that knee-jerk no. Because every time you say no, absolutely not, unless not and say we did, you might be closing out an opportunity to just say yes and actually do and experience something that could truly be transformational for yourself, for your family, and for your organization that you are leading, be that in school or business or anything. So please, please, please be careful when it comes to the knee-jerk no. Thank you for listening to the Think Law Podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast by clicking on the subscribe option on whatever platform you're listening to. Thank you for helping us create a world where critical thinking is no longer a luxury good. Thank you for checking out the Think Law podcast. But did you know you can dig even deeper? My first book, Thinking Like a Lawyer, a framework to teach critical thinking to all students, is now available on Amazon or many of your favorite book websites. So please check it out and be a part of our critical thinking revolution.